Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. My name is Bryson. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, I have kids. I love our kids. And we've been watching lately uh, some YouTube videos, like on our Apple TV, that are different, like activities and things like that. And it makes me think back to my summer camp days. Would you stand up? Let's just stand up together really quick. We're just doing a little exercise. We're warming up. We're warming up for Jesus here. So what I want you to do is put your hands up and put, put them in as tight of a fist as possible, as tight as you could possibly do. And then You're going to go as wide as you possibly can. Put your fingers as wide as you possibly can. And so we're going to go all the way in and all the way out. All the way in, all the way out. And then start going faster and faster and faster. All the way in, all the way out, all the way in, all the way out, all the way in, all the way out, all the way in. Now look at somebody dead in the eye. Say, now our blood's pumping. And we're ready to go. You can sit down. I do have little kids. I love our little kids. Um, we have a three-year-old, um, and she is Olivia. And we have a son. His name's Ogden. He's 19 months old. And we just did something last weekend. We registered for this year's ENC conference. Every Nation Campus Conference is happening in January. Campus ministry is a huge part of our heart as a church and as a movement. And so uh, we're prioritizing that by, by investing our time. And it's in Orlando. So we started talking about, you know, we're a family. What else is in Orlando? Disney World, a couple things. Yeah, there's a couple things, but Disney World is one of them. And so, uh, you know, we're talking about, well, is this a time we take our kids to Disney World? They meet all the people, have the fun. Uh, but one of the things that's uh, in the decision-making matrix for us is just a sign that we know is at the, the, the beginning of every line. The ride that, that we might love to ride, our kids are going to get to the end of the line, and as we're about to get on, they'll see there's a little bar like this, and you know what it says? Must be this tall to ride. Must be this tall to ride, and so our kids who are this tall might get to the front if we let them all the way to this line and see that they're ineligible to participate in the adventure that waits on the other side of that bar, that they are not tall enough to ride. And as I look through scripture, Jesus is full of these you must be this tall to ride statements. As you look through the gospels, Jesus says over and over these statements that are similar to you must be this tall to ride. Let me just give you a couple examples in John 14. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You must be this tall to ride. Or a little more epic in Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, no pressure, all of them. Just do it, just all of them. You must be this tall to ride. He says in Matthew 7, 14, this is a fun one, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. You must be this tall to ride. You've got to love the Sermon on the Mount where he flips on its head. We look at the Old Testament, which was hard enough, and he says, you've heard it said this way, but surely I tell you, and he raises the bar in the areas, uh, everything from uh, anger to lust to divorce to commitment to retaliation to loving your enemies. He says, you must be this tall to ride, and he tops it off. I love this in Matthew five twenty-eight, where he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You must be this tall 
to ride. The Gospels are full of Jesus calling us to things we can't accomplish. Over and over, Jesus calls us to something that we could never actually do. And I'm not talking about the things that you're personally called to, like there's you know, something in you, right? I'm called to write a book, launch a podcast, marry the girl, go to the school, get the job, buy the house, whatever you feel called to personally. And sometimes we, we, we use that as our rubric and we say, well, I'm doing pretty good at that calling. But Jesus is pretty specific here in Matthew 28. He's not calling to go live your truth. He's calling you to go make disciples, in Acts 1, he's not saying go and just uh, you know, do your best, you live out your purpose. He's saying be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And when we start uh, grading ourselves against that rubric, we realize that there's a gap between the life we live and the standard that's being set. And the question is, what do we do to fill the gap? And I think that it causes for many of us embarrassment, maybe shame, hoping that no one really asks you how you're doing on some of these things that Jesus is calling us to do because it just unwraps something in you that you you wonder what things would be like if they actually knew that the gap was a little bit bigger than my head to my hand, but it was maybe my head to the ceiling or maybe it elicits some, some pride where you say, I'm actually doing pretty good, but it's really just a cover-up because you're wondering in the back of your mind, what would happen if I stopped being pretty good? And so we find these coping skills or coping mechanisms to, to fill the gap between our life and, and what we know God's calling us to do as we look in with the Bible in one hand and the mirror in another and realize that there's some incongruencies. So how do we reconcile a God who loves us and a God who offers us a better life, life and life to the full and a standard that we could never live up to? Let's pray together. Lord, be with us. God, we pray right now that through your word and your Holy Spirit, you would make clear to us what needs to be clear. Give us the courage to follow you at all costs in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there is a gap between who you currently are and everything God is calling you to be. And I think before we talk about what, you know, Jesus might present, it's important for us to acknowledge what we do to fill that gap. Is that okay for a second if we just do a little self-analysis? If we just actually say, how am I currently fixing the problem? And what am I doing? And then we can see maybe if there's another solution, because it, it has to start with where we're at now. And I really think that most of the time we deal with the gap in one of two ways ways. One of two ways that we fill this gap between who we are and who we know God's called us to be. One is self-dependence and one is self-dismissal. One is self-dependence and one is self-dismissal. Again, Olivia is our our three-year-old and we have a little car that she can ride in uh, you know, it's a little cozy coupe, if you know the brand, a little tight. And so, you know, she, she gets in, she kind of goes all around the house and all that stuff. So the other night, I was pushing her around in it, and we're just going around the house and having a good time. She says, Daddy, I want to ride on top of it. I want to ride on top of the car. And so I'm like, 
want to be a cool dad, you know, fun dad. It's a little wild, but we're wild and crazy guys, you know. We're, just, we're gonna like have some, some fun. So I say, okay, cool. So I put her on top of it, and I say, all right, baby, hold on to something. And she goes, she grabs her knees. Um, so she's on top of the car, and I say, hold on. So she goes, now she's three, so she doesn't realize that's not gonna work. Like, it's just begging for disaster. Uh, when I say hold on to something, if you're on a dangerous, you know, mini automobile, do not grab your own knees. It doesn't work that way, but I think a lot of times that's what we do when it comes to following God. I think we might have this, this moment with Jesus, and then we decide, now I'm going to live my life different, and we wonder why we're getting beat up by the devil, like we have this thing, we say, okay, God, now I'm, I'm, I'm yours and, and, and all this stuff, so now I'm going to start reading my Bible more, I'm going to stop doing the stuff I know I'm supposed to stop doing, I'm going to start, you know, preaching the gospel, I'm going to start, you know, uh, going to church, I'm going to start, uh, you know, a home group in my house, I'm going to start, and we start doing all these things, uh, but we start doing it in a way that to, to live for God, to make God proud of us instead of with God. And so uh, what happens is we build our own little religion of our own that's built on our own ability to grind it out, which is cool for a little bit and fun for a little bit, uh, but then it starts to wear on you and you realize that this thing called Christianity is heavier than the weight you were carrying before Christianity. And you go, okay, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to uh, go through life, you know, and I'm going to uh, evangelize. I'm going to make disciples. We're going to go, you know, be holy, live holy, and we're going to go make a name for ourselves. And that starts to sound more like the Tower of Babel than what Christianity is described as in the New Testament. And we go through life holding on to our own knees. And let me tell you, if you are the most secure thing in your faith, there's a problem. If the most stable thing for you to hold on to is you, uh, then I think that it's a chance to reevaluate that for ourselves. And I think the root of, of self-dependence, it's not pride, it's insecurity. It's not pride, it's insecurity. It's that I'm not enough and I need something else to cover up my own shame and convince me that I am. Convince me that I'm enough and I'm going to uh, choose, you know, to, to live this life in a, in a way where God is proud of me and he realizes that the cross was worth it. He made a good investment that, you know, that, that he should have done it. He's so thankful for my existence that I'm helping him on his mission. And we start building this thing that if we just do enough stuff, then God's going to realize that the cross was worth it. God's going to realize that we were worth dying for and that we can make a positive impact in the world. And it's not because, uh, I'm not saying that you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're trying to do something evil. But I think that sometimes we fall into this way where we say, God, thank you for salvation, but I got it from here. And so these marks of a Christian, the things that we're called to do, they're not something that's this, this for God. It's something that's a, this, this cathartic effort to, to cover our own dysfunction instead of walking in a beautiful adventure that God calls us to. We choose self-reliance and self-dependence. We choose that we're going to do it our own way and this is not this is not this is not this is not 
a message of condemnation. Romans 8 one says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not a moment for us to go, wow, we are terrible people. But I think that we have a moment to realize that Jesus offers us a better way. In that mentality, we might come across a scripture like uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, present yourself as a workman approved. And our attitude is saying, God, I'm going to represent or present myself as a workman approved by approving myself. And that brings us to this second way that we, we deal with the gap between who we are and what we're called to do. We have uh, self-dependence, but we also have self-dismissal. And so self-dismissal, it looks at the same verse, right, that says present yourself as a workman approved, where the, the first needs to realize that they're approved because of Jesus, and then the second says, well, great, I'm approved because of Jesus, so I don't have to do anything. We dismiss ourselves, maybe it's because uh, we realize, you know, there's no way we could do it anyway, so why even try And so we look at the call of God and we choose to exclude ourselves by either our our lack of qualification, our lack of willingness, our personality type. We say, you know, that's just not my thing. I'm not not that guy. And we we choose to to kind of create the the caricature of the the true evangelist, the apostle Paul. And we say, well, that seems a little too hard. So I guess I'm just going to, you know, kind of do it my own way. Self-dismissal looks at this world-changing life and says things like, I could never do it. That's not me. Says others are more qualified for these kind of things. I could never jump that high. So I'm not even going to try. Again, this doesn't mean that they necessarily live terrible lives or we necessarily live terrible lives. But I think sometimes we, we turn Christianity into avoiding sin instead of obeying God. Where now, as a Christian, I'm called just to do Christian things, and I'm called uh, to, to not do bad stuff, and I'm called to, you know, listen to Christian radio, go to Christian coffee shops, support Christian businesses, get a Jesus is Lord bumper sticker, and then make sure that I, I give at tax season. You know, that this is like what I do. I'm, I'm a Christian now. But like the Christian life is so much more than not doing bad stuff. Like God actually calls us on an adventure, but we decide instead of self-dependence, we're going to say we're, we're going to participate in self-dismissal and say, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to kind of ride this out until I get to heaven because Jesus died for my sin. And so now uh, I'm just going to kind of, you know, maybe volunteer here or there just so I kind of, you know, do my, my Christian duty and then, you know, hope Jesus doesn't come back in my lifetime because I'm not sure if it's post-trib, pre-trib. I don't want to figure it out. I just want to die, go to heaven. We'll figure it out then. Somebody else can deal with that. And so we, we go through and then we choose to deal with the gap by dismissing ourselves from the mission completely and only embracing the lifestyle. And if that's where you land, I, I, I just, uh, man, I, I just think like you fulfilling God, let me just, if I can just encourage you with something, you fulfilling God with your life doesn't need to look like how you see other people fulfill God with their lives. Like if you say, well, I'm an introvert, not an extrovert, like it, it is unrealistic to say to uh, the, the stay-at-home mom, you should be on campus doing the God test four days a week. It's, it's unrealistic. That is, not, that is not what you fulfilling the Great Commission needs to look like right now in this season, and that's okay. 
Like, it's not that everyone's called to be the Apostle Paul, everyone's called to be a missionary, everyone's called to be a pastor, everyone's called to ministry. Like, we as the body of Christ have things that God's called you to do and created you for in a mission in your life. It doesn't need to be this archetype that we create, this extroverted, you know, person that just loves going out and knocking on doors and whatever. But we are called to participate in the mission of God. Sure, you might not be able to be on campus four days a week, but you can decide where your mom's group meets and have intentional conversations. Sure, uh, maybe your work schedule is a little bit more complicated and you're, you know, you're, you're here or there, but you can decide who you have relationships with and who you check in on and things like that. There are ways that this can look. And I love that God, uh, when we look at, at this attitude of, of self-denial or self-dismissal rather, uh, th- this little thing that comes before the great uh, command, or sorry, the great commission, One verse before, we know the Great Commission where he says, therefore go and make disciples, but have you ever read a verse before? He says this, or or, sorry, it says this, and when they saw him, being Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, you three that doubt, get out of here. No, 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 he doesn't say that. Like he says, he says, some doubted. Not, not somebody doubted, some doubted. And so you're in a group of 11, some assuming it's, you know, at least two. That's like one-fifth of the room doubted. Like some, multiple. And so you're, you're with the risen Jesus. You saw, you know, the holes in his hand and in his side. And you go, okay, well, I'm still figuring it out. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you nine that don't doubt, here's your plan. You two, you better go through BLI again, go to BSD, make sure you get your faith up, make sure you do practice some stuff. No, no, no. But he looks at the doubters and the devoted all alike and say, therefore, go and make disciples. We get in this self-dismissal mode where it's like God could never use me. But I think that the, 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 the author, Matthew, Matthew put that in to go, no, actually, I think he can. He can use the doubters and the devoted. Jesus doesn't just not give them a pass, but he actually trusts them to fulfill his mission. He actually believes that they can do it. So which do you fall into, self-dependence or self-dismissal? Or maybe a combination of both. Um, There's a comforting quote that um, I found this week, and I'm just going to comfort myself with it. And so I'm not saying this to you. This is a quote that comforted me. If you choose to be encouraged by it or comforted by it, that's up to you. Uh, But the quote that, that encouraged me was by Graham Cook I found this week. When God put a call on your life, he factored in your stupidity. Again, not encouraging you, encouraging myself. If you choose to be encouraged, that's on you. But when God put together a plan for my life, he already knew the ways I was going to mess it up. He already knew the times that I would act on self-reliance or, or, or self-dependence or self-dismissal or, or counting myself or counting on myself. And he still chose me. He still chose you to, to, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And, and so it's incredible that God chose you. And that's like, woohoo, so cool. But wherever you fall, it still leaves us with the question, why would God call us to something we could never do? Sure, we have coping mechanisms and ways that we skirt around it, but why and how could God call us to do something 
if he knows we can never live up to it. Because it's poor leadership to ask someone to do something that you're not willing to resource them to accomplish. If you are an employee, it might even be worth leaving a job if your boss continues to ask you to do things that he's not willing or she's not willing to resource you to do it. It's not a good parenting if I say, okay, Olivia, you know, you have to clean the bathroom um, and I'm not willing to show where the products are or, you know, give it. It's like, am I going to make her use her toothbrush? No, that's terrible. But it's a sign of a good parent or good employee to, you know, if there's a request or there's a call, if there's a decision or, or, or something that you're, you're supposed to do to also resource you. And God is a good dad. Like God is, he's a good father. He's a good master. He's a good Lord. And, and he actually, uh, he doesn't leave us without. Uh, he doesn't leave us. God gives us everything we need to accomplish the mission. But I think sometimes we've just gotten so used to them that we lose touch with what they really mean. And I think that we can find what Jesus would say fills the gap between who we are and who we're called to be in Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, where it says this. Jesus said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He points to two things, the power of the cross and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He calls them to a mission that they could never accomplish. This is in his last conversation with them. Is the end of Luke, um, the, the Gospel of Luke. He's describing their last conversation. He picks it up in the Gospel, in the, the Book of Acts. The same author, Part Two. He starts it with that conversation, giving more context that he's he's talking about the mission of God that they're now meant to fulfill. And he points to two things: the power of the cross and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And before we just say amen and we say, learned that in Sunday school, put it back on the felt board, I'll see you next week. I, I think, can we just, can you just go with me for a second? If we really look at what's in our tool bag, if we really look at what Jesus offers us uh, they, with, with the power of the cross and the empowerment of the spirit, I think we might live differently. If we really look at the cross for what it is, the cross is it, the ultimate symbol of God's ridiculous love for you. That God, who, who needs nothing and no one, decided that, that, it, that you somehow were worth dying for, not based on your own merit, not because you did awesome stuff for him, but because he's awesome, that while you were dead in your sin, not when you were a bad person, when you were a dead person, when you had nothing to contribute at all, and even the things you did contribute were spitting on his face, he still chose to take a cross and say, I love you. And I'm not just saying I love you like a greeting card, I'm showing you with my body on a cross that I love you, that I'll give myself for you, that even when you are dead, when 
when you're dead, when you're dead, I'll give my life so that you can be alive. That's the story of the cross, that Jesus on the cross, everything that we use to dismiss ourselves and discount ourselves was paid for by the cross. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin became our sin. He didn't just die for our sin, he died as our sin. And so when he died, he went in the grave with our sin, but when he rose, our grave, our, our sin stayed there. Our sin is still dead, and Jesus is alive, so now when we live through him, that we now are seen as Jesus. I love uh, the, the, this concept of the anointing. And so Christ means anointed one. It wasn't Jesus' last name. It was a descriptor. Jesus, the anointed one. And when you look in the Old Testament, there are really three people that got anointed. There's uh, prophets, priests, and kings. These three uh, leaders were representatives of God to the people and the people to God. And so uh, you have their respective uh, things that, that it, it wasn't just that they were a voice of God to the people considering, uh, you know, the, the, the ways of God or the, the, the word of God or the practices surrounding God, a voice from God to the people. They also were, were held accountable for the people from God. So they represented uh, and were held accountable for shortcomings in those respective areas. And so if they, uh, prophets or if they heard God, priests if they pleased God, and kings if they followed God. But now we have in the New Testament, Jesus comes as a prophet, the priest, and the king, both as a representative of God to the people and of the people to God. And so on the cross, we see Jesus Christ, the anointed one, representing the people to God, paying for their sins, and God to the people, uh, showing his love and his wrath combined. His wrath was, was quenched by his own love and his own son, where everything else is saying, die for me. Jesus is saying, I'll die for you. So now we see God through the lens of Jesus, and believe it or not, God sees us through the same lens. That now when God looks at us, when he looks at you, when he looks at me, he has to look through the cross. He who knew no sin became our sin. So that we could be called, we can be given the title. Not just okay. Not just accepted. Not just forgiven. But the righteousness of God. His status was extended to us by the work of the cross that Jesus, that Jesus showed while we were still yet sinners, he didn't just send a greeting card, he sent himself. And the, the, What if we actually lived like that was true? Like what if I woke up in the morning and realized how ridiculously loved by God I was? And no matter how I felt about myself, there was someone so much more powerful than me that defined me and he called me good. He called me worthy. He called me valuable. He called me his righteousness. And when he looked at me, he didn't see my shortcomings. He didn't see the things that I might be proud of. He saw his son and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. How would my life look different if I actually embodied that? We see Jesus point to his disciples. He points uh, his disciples to the power of the cross and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, we could fall in love with this message of the cross and we can give our lives to Jesus and receive the benefits of that cross and, and all of these things. But it doesn't change the fact that the mission is still impossible. 
that God loves us and we receive Jesus as our Lord and Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When you receive Jesus, you are justified with God. You are, are, are in the sanctification process becoming more like God. You will be glorified uh, when he comes back or when we die. You are saved, 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 saved. When you embrace the message of the cross and make Jesus your Lord. But that doesn't change that there's a mission that is still impossible. And that's where the empowerment of the Spirit comes in. He says in Acts chapter 1, the same author, Luke, uh, he, he continues his thought in this, this letter to Theophilus. He, he goes on uh, in, in Acts, and in verse 1, they call it the, the thesis statement of the book of Acts. If there's a summary of the entire book, it's found in the 8th verse where he says this. Uh, this is Jesus right before he ascends to the Father. He says, but you will receive wisdom? No. A strategy? No. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it. You can do your best. You can try. You, you know, God's going to be proud of you for your effort, but you just can't do it. The things that God is calling you to are, are bigger than you and bigger than your ability to grind it out for God. But he says, don't worry, I have a strategy and it's my power. It's going to come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You can't do it. What do you get when you have the Spirit of God? You have the fruit of the Spirit. You wonder why uh, you, you keep on falling into the same sin pattern or the same uh, addiction or the same tendencies or the thing you just can't control, your anger, or you just keep watching that thing you shouldn't be watching or doing that thing you shouldn't be doing, talking to that person you shouldn't be talking to, and you just don't know why, it's because you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, it's not a metaphor of grapes and oranges and bananas and, and things like that. Fruit as in outcome. The outcome of the Holy Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're wondering why those things aren't in your life, maybe you need to ask, when's the last time I really experience the Holy Spirit deep within me. You don't just have the fruit, you have the gifts of the Spirit. You see that God's giving you tools to actually fulfill the mission that he's calling you to. If you're wondering why I don't have freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Jesus isn't going to call us to a mission that he's not willing to equip us to fulfill. There's this bar that says you must be this tall to ride. And we decide to fill this gap with so many other things, but Jesus is saying, please, please, please choose the better way. I remember, for me, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, um, my brother was in basic training. He was in um, the Navy, and I didn't really have words to put it into. I didn't really know how to describe what had just happened to me. Um, and so, but what I did, I, you know, I said I had this experience with God I didn't know this was possible and I drew a stick figure and then outside of it I drew almost like imagine almost like a gingerbread man like a full a full person so there's a stick person and a you know a, a full person around it and I said I don't know exactly what just happened but it feels like God just filled the gap that I was living like a stick figure when I knew I was supposed to be doing more and living more. That my life was supposed to be marked with freedom and it was supposed to be marked with, with these, these, the fruit of the Spirit that I've been reading about and the, and the love of God and these things that I haven't been able uh, to, to, to stop or start. 
now are available to me. I don't know what, it, what happened, but whatever it is, it feels like God filled the gap between the stick figure me and the full me that he created me to be. And I really, you know, years later, I, uh, sure, you could look at the, the scriptures and the theology and things like that, but in terms of the experience, it still feels the same. That there's a me that I can be in my greatest strength on my best day. But when the Holy Spirit comes, like in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on someone, they would do something great for God, and then he would, you know, move, move on. But now in the New Testament, because of Jesus, we, we don't just have a God that comes upon us, we have a God that wants to live in us. In John 14, he talks about, you know, when uh, you love God, you keep his commandments, I'm sending a helper that's going to guide you into all truth. He, he, he starts that off with me and the Father are going to live in you, and it's not just going to be us. It's not just going to be me and my dad. It's not just going to be the Son and, and the Father, but I'm sending a helper to remind you what I'm saying. Someone who, uh, I know, you know, you, you read your Bible a few hours ago or a few days ago or a few weeks ago, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to remind you the things that you would forget otherwise. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to empower you to live the life that I've called you to live. And so it's not just a story of, you know, when we invite Jesus to live in our heart, then he kind of makes his little tiny home in our heart and he just hangs out there no but he actually comes and, and Jesus lives in you and God lives God the Father lives in you and, and the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit is is God like it's just important to realize like we can sometimes over separatize you know I don't know if that's a word we can over separate you know God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit but the Holy Spirit is not you know number three like God, he's not just God Junior or he's not God's right hand man like the Holy Spirit is God and so now there's God in you that when you start uh, fulfilling some of these, these calling things and having a gospel conversation, it gets easier because you realize that actually it's not about how good I am at presenting the gospel, that God in me is actually presenting himself. And believe it or not, even if I do a terrible job, God, the Holy Spirit is going to be moving in this person and convicting this person and, 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 and moving them towards life change and heart change. That is the Holy Spirit's doing the work that now I'm just a participant in his story. It changes uh, the way that we enter into moments of calling, of, di of divine uh, interaction with, with, with what God's calling us to do. So when we look at these realities, and we look at the limitations that, that we've settled for self-dependence or self-dismissal, I hope the choice is obvious. I hope that when we look at the coping mechanism that we've created to fill the gap between who we are and know ourselves to be and who we know God's called us to be, that it's like those um, Capital One commercials, you know, where the guy says, it's the easiest decision in the history of decisions. And he has, you know, the middle schooler playing the guitar, then he has Slash playing the guitar next to him. It's, it's, it's easy. And you look at the, the broken ways that, that, that we decide to cope with our own sin and shame and then what Jesus actually offers us. I hope it's obvious, but how do we receive Jesus? He explains that in, in chapter 24 of Luke. He's just repent and, and believe. And how do we receive the Holy Spirit? He, the same author, 
in chapter 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We ask. Would you stand with me as we close our time together? The truth is that you can go through the whole journey that we took to get here and look at maybe I fall into self-dependence or self-dismissal. Maybe I need to acknowledge the power of the cross. Maybe I need to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but we can still get here and there's something nagging in us of, of you know, is, is it really true for me? Like it's cool, it's in the Bible, but is it really true for me? And that's that version of insecurity starting to creep back in. And that's really it's the enemy whispering, saying, no, 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 no. He's saying the same thing he did on the first pages of Genesis. Did God really say? I don't know. I don't know if that really applies in this scenario. And he's contextualizing away, you know, what, what it might feel like. And when it looks at, at you know, the, the, the message of Jesus and salvation, when it looks at the, the Holy Spirit that's offered, like, what? What I think about is when I was, um, you know, in, in school, I, I played some sports and track and field and um, I would, there's eligibility slips where you go from teacher to teacher and you had to make sure all your grades were passing, you know, and that your behavior was good and then you go to your coach and you turn it in, I think every week and it's your eligibility slip. I'm eligible to play because I've been doing these things in class. And so we look in a moment like this of engaging with God and we look at our eligibility slip and we realize it's not doing too good. And we realize that our slip, it's not really there. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he gives us his. And so now everything good that God offers us, we have his eligibility slip. And we say, I'm eligible for the Holy Spirit because Jesus is eligible. I'm eligible to have a relationship with God because Jesus is eligible. I'm eligible to be one with the Father and have uh, this, this connection like a vine and a branch can, uh, grafted in to his family because Jesus is eligible. It's not because I'm awesome, it's because he's awesome and he decided for some obscene reason to include me in his family. And so we don't come as, as beggars and we don't come as, as people uh, who just say, God, if you would, maybe just think about me. We come the same way that a child goes to their dad. If, if, if my kids come to me or your kids come to you and they say, dad, I just, I, I, I know I, I need this. I, I, I want this and I have the means. Of course, I'm going to meet it. If they present a need to me or a request of me, then I, I'll do everything. I'll move heaven and earth to make it happen. And so when we come, we say, God, I'm asking for the benefits of the cross. God, I'm asking you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. We're not asking as people with no legs to stand on. We're asking as, as people who are approved by the work of the gospel, the work of the cross. And that ask becomes so much more easy. It is so much easier to ask the bank for a million dollars if you already have it in your account. It's already yours. 
And so let's take a moment. Just close your eyes if you would. And here's the question I want you to ask God. God, what do you have for me tonight? Maybe you've already accepted salvation. Maybe you've already experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I believe God has something for you tonight, a deeper understanding of the cross, a deeper passion for the Holy Spirit, a deeper filling of the Holy Spirit. But ask God, what what do you have for me tonight? And we're going to sing just maybe a verse or two in a chorus or whatever the worship team is going to lead us in. Um, And let's just reflect on that tonight and ask God, And be courageous enough to say yes. I actually feel like in the spirit right now that God's going to be speaking to you about specific uh, people that he's calling you to extend his family to. When you say, God, what do you have for me tonight? It's going to be a new level of assignment. I think some people, when they ask God, what do you have for me tonight? He's going to give a new dream and a new goal and a new hope. I think some people, when you ask, God, what do you have for me tonight, that he's going to surprise you with something you didn't come in expecting. Let's sing together um, and just spend some time with the Lord.